0: 1340 KDLM, the station you can count on. Welcome to the Sports Wrap on a Taco John's Taco Tuesday. 99 cent taco to Taco John's all day long today. As always, plenty to get to on the Sports Wrap today. Pretty good game last night, despite Carson Wentz. What is wrong with Carson Wentz in Philadelphia? I, I can understand some struggles, but this guy just looks lost out there. We'll, well, we'll talk about last night's Monday Night Football game and what was supposed to be a Thursday night game last week was moved to Sunday, was then moved to Monday, was then moved to Tuesday, and now we've got Wednesday afternoon football in a couple days, Steelers Ravens. We think, we hope maybe and some in some controversy that goes hand in hand with this one. Like why is the NFL working so hard to push this game back, yet at the same time, they made the Denver Broncos play against the Saints with no quarterback. They made the San Francisco 49ers play Aaron Rodgers and the Packers with practice squad guys, yet they're they're going significantly out of their way and adjusting everything else around schedule-wise to make sure that the Ravens and the Steelers have a high-quality football game When they did not give that to San Francisco, they absolutely did not give that to the Denver Broncos. So We'll talk about that coming up. Uh, The Major League Baseball-Minor League system is a mess. The Twins are restructuring things again. If you are a fan of the Pensacola Blue Wahoos, got some bad news. They're no longer a Twins affiliate. But the greatest thing to happen to Twins baseball since it moved from Washington in 1961 is officially going to happen. We've got uh, Midwest District Football Awards out. We'll talk about that. And second half of the sports wrap, we really haven't done this. We're going to break down the NFL Hall of Fame ballot. A couple of former Vikings on there. One guy I think should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He'll eventually get in, but uh, I don't think that people see things the way I do. Because, uh, you know, the, the mainstream media, you know, they just don't get it. Let's break down the last 24 hours in sports, beginning with a pretty good for basketball game last night. Rewind time.
1: 15 in the game, now 12, now 11. Carr near half court working on Jalen Anderson. Coucher standing at the free throw line waiting to set a screen with six, with five. Carr step back, three in the air for the lead. Yes! seconds to play.
0: Marcus Carr with the game winner last night. Gophers uh, struggled against Loyola Marymounts again last night. They did so. They had a, a very slow first half on Saturday. They were down by, by 9, 10, 11 points, and it took Marcus Carr, uh, the game winner, to save them against Loyola Marymounts, get them to 3 and oh, Very lucky shot there uh, by Carr. It, it sounded like... Uh, I, I, I've got a, the post-game interview here With Mike Grimm, who we talked to yesterday about this game and Marcus Carr, apparently they tried to run that same play a couple possessions earlier and Carr messed it up. He went to the the sideline and told Coach Patino, look, I know I messed it up. I have confidence in myself. I can make this shot. Here 's that post game interview
1: Marcus, your head coach just told us that uh, you maybe had messed up a play or two before that on that play and said look let 's run the same thing and you 'll make the shot Kind of take us through your thinking there and how confident you were about that and uh, what what, uh, what happened to correct that uh, that, that miscue
2: uh, yeah, you know we kind of went to our one of our late game sets, um, actually three possessions before the shot, and I was able to kind of get a little floater in the lane and and then, they, you know, they came down, and, and um, we got a stop, and then we went right back to it. And, you know, we kind of got what we wanted again. I got downhill, and I was able to draw two defenders. Um, I kind of just, you know, slipped a little bit, lost the ball, and, and drew a charge, and I was trying to kick it back out um, to an open shooter. So, um, you know, we kind of had that timeout. They came down. Unfortunately, we weren't able to get the stop. They got an offensive rebound and one, and we were in the timeout. And, you know, coach was about to draw up something, and I told him, like, hey, you know, I kind of I just messed that one up, but, you know, I still got confidence in myself. I know I can get this one back for the guys. So, you know, let's run the play again and, you know, I'm going to knock it down.
0: Carr finished with 26 points last night. Night of 16 shootings, seven boards, and the game winner. Uh, but a couple of big name guys that we expected to have a, a larger impact have been struggling so far. Gabe Kelscher uh, somehow continued to climb up the record books in three point land, but. May need a recount because this guy has been struggling. 0 of four from deep last night. One of eleven from the field through three games this season. Kelscher shooting thirty six percent from the floor and twelve point five percent from beyond the three point line. That's that's uh, that that's not what we expect from Gabe Kelscher. Also, Liam Robbins, the transfer from Drake, has now fouled out in two of his first three games as a Gopher, and that's not going to work on a very Aggressive, very physical Big Ten schedule. Uh, Robbins, Brandon Johnson, and Jarvis Omersa all fouled out by the time Carr was jumping up the court, preparing to hit that game winner. Next game for the Gophers is at Williams Arena Friday night versus the North Dakota Fighting Hawks, 8 o'clock. We will have that game on KDLM 11 this Friday. And things get tougher after that. They play Boston College as part of the Big Ten ACC Challenge on December 8th. 2. Let's talk about some district awards for for Laker football. Uh, Caden Yelanimi, the specialist, named to the first team award. Uh, The other positions, a a lot of names you may have heard quite a bit during Laker broadcasts. The Midwest District Red Award for Player of the Year goes to Pequot Lakes quarterback Bodie Magnuson. At quarterback, a two-way tie between Magnuson and Colton Hackle of Purham. Offensive back goes to Justin Wang, DGF. Lakers uh, got a a lot of Justin Wang in their they're, they're one regular season loss this year. Wide receiver of the year goes to Ryan Monahan of Pequot Lakes. Offensive lineman of the year is Ben Ellenbaum of DGF. Caleb Long of Purim is the defensive lineman of the year for the Midwest District Red. Uh, linebacker of the year goes to Preston Johnson, DGF. Defensive backs, Caden Hartwell of Fergus Falls and Carter Solblad of Pequot Lakes. Of course, uh, Caden Neely, a solid punter for the for the Lakers all season long. He is your specialist of the year. Coach of the year goes to DGF's Anthony Soderberg, 6-0 record with the Rebels this year. And the 2020 Midwest Red Mister football nominee, of course, goes to Mr. Bodie Magnuson of Pequot Lakes. The all-district team looks like this. DGF having uh, six players, Justin Wang, tight end Preston Johnson, cornerback Brandon Watt, Ben Ellingbaum, Logan Johnson, and Jordan Summers. Detroit Lakes has five guys. Garrett Nelson, senior linebacker. Zach Oystad, senior offensive lineman. Senior linebacker running back, Jake Green. Andrew Annette on the offensive and defensive line. And junior running back and defensive back, Christian Solberg, also named to the first team. Pequot Lakes has four guys, including Bodie Magnuson, Hunter Nybocken, Alex Morgan, and Carter Soblad. Purim, three guys. Quarterback, Colton Hackle, Chase Melvin, running back, and Caleb Lung, all named to the team as well. Uh, All-District Honorable Mention, Jacob Kalina, wide receiver. Ty Jones, wide receiver as well. And uh, Caden Nealini, wide receiver, defensive back, named to the Honorable Mention team. Also for Purim, Ryan Solberg, Josh Peterson, and Brian Ramos, named to the All-District Honorable Mention. The Lakers also making their mark on the academic All-District team. 26 students named to the All-District team for academics. Lots changing within Major League Baseball's minor league system, including with the Minnesota Twins. Uh, expected to cut 40-plus teams from affiliate status this week. And with those changes, probably like I teased before, probably the best move since the Twins came from Washington in 1960. And I don't know why they haven't pursued this more often, because this is going to be huge for baseball in the region. So earlier... Uh, well, I guess last it's December now. So last month, uh, the Twins cutting ties with the Rochester Red Wings, their triple A affiliate, now affiliated with the Washington Nationals. So the Twins were looking for a triple A affiliate. They have also switched their uh double A club again. They were the Chattanooga Lookouts, they were the Pensacola Blue Wahoos last year, and now for the third time in as many seasons, they are changing that. Again, for this upcoming season, the new double A affiliate is going to be in Wichita, Kansas for the twins. Also going to have, uh, they're going to keep Cedar Rapids, going to keep Fort Myers. But the huge news is across the river in Minneapolis. Now in St. Paul, the St. Paul Saints, formerly of the Independent League, now going to be the triple A affiliate of the Minnesota Twins and I love this move so much. It it not only makes sense for for the Twins if they need a, a last second call up to have Royce Lewis and a- Alex Kiriloff and those guys literally minutes away from Target Field. I I don't know what the uh, what the status is on on joint practices to get these guys more acclimated to each other, the young guys and the old guys and mentorship roles at the Triple A club versus being out in New York. I especially like this move for the fans and for the exposure of these young players. Because now any given night, once COVID-19 is over, you can either go watch the big league club or 10 minutes away, you can go watch the up-and-coming Minnesota Twins. No other team in baseball has their AAA affiliate this close. I think the, the closest may be like the Iowa Cubs, AAA affiliate of the Chicago Cubs, maybe the closest one. Nobody else has, like, a taxi squad from their AAA affiliate to the big league club. This is huge. It's, it's unique for the baseball world, and it's not just the Saints across the river, but you've got St. Paul, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, within driving distance. Your new AA affiliate in Wichita, Kansas, that's a 10-hour a, a drive. So to have your three main minor league teams within driving distance to Minneapolis is a huge bonus. And the cherry on top is having your AAA affiliate right across the river. Nobody else in baseball can do that. You still have the Fort Myers Miracle down in Florida. That's fine and dandy for some Florida baseball. But this is huge for Midwest Baseball, it's huge for baseball fans in Kansas, who, yeah, you've got the Royals. Yeah, you've got the Cardinals. In Missouri, of course, where Kansas now could draw some Twins fans. Iowa, of course, a, a battleground between the Cubs, the Brewers, the Twins. I'm sure there's some Royals, Cardinals fans down there, too. That's a, a You could call Iowa a battleground state. I mean if you look at the map of Twins territory, northern Iowa is in there. When the Twins winter caravan is up and running, they they make stops in Iowa, they make stops in western Wisconsin. Twins territory was already huge and now it's expanding in the Midwest even more. But like I said, the cherry on top is getting the St. Saint Paul Saints, your Triple A affiliate right across the river from the big league club. You're not having to to shuttle guys in from Rochester, New York anymore. The one bummer is you don't have the rivalry kind of up here. It's the FM Redhawks territory, the Saints Redhawks rivalry done. And as much as I love independent baseball, it's going to be so nice at the major league level to have those guys readily available to not just the twins, but also for the fans to go watch these triple a kids play in a game versus just reading a report on twinsbaseball.com. Three. bonus. Number three, some other headlines, Seattle Seahawks back alone in first place in the NFC West, Russell Wilson threw a touchdown pass. Chris Carson scored on the ground in his first game back in a while as the Seahawks held off the Eagles 23, 17 in Philadelphia, Seattle now eight and three Eagles fall to three, seven and one in the NFC East. Some other NFL news, the 49ers are going to play their next two home games in Glendale, Arizona. They're going to host Buffalo on Monday night and then Washington in Week 14 at State Farm Stadium, which is the home of the Arizona Cardinals, it becomes necessary due to new COVID-19 restrictions in Santa Clara County. And some controversy here. There are a lot of NFL fans upset about this. So the Ravens and the Steelers were supposed to be the nightcap on Thanksgiving Thursday, which was, what, four or five days ago now? Really the only game worth watching. And then COVID breaks out within the Baltimore Ravens locker room. And some big-name guys, Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, a lot of their big key players would have been unavailable last Thursday night against the undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers as the Baltimore Ravens are jockeying for playoff position. They've been in, in a free fall. These last six weeks, that game was postponed from Thursday to Sunday. That game was then postponed from Sunday to Monday, which was postponed from Monday to Tuesday. So we were supposed to have Steelers and Ravens tonight on Tuesday night football. But that game has once again been postponed to tomorrow afternoon at 2.40 Central Time. Ravens versus Steelers is the latest that we have now. Ravens going to get a, a bunch of players back, not including Lamar Jackson. He is going to miss tomorrow afternoon's game. Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, running backs will be back for Baltimore. But here's where the controversy lies. And this is where you can get your tinfoil hats on is why is the NFL bending over backwards to accommodate Pittsburgh and Baltimore. A game that's been moved no fewer than, than what, four times now? Thursday to Sunday to Monday to Tuesday to Wednesday. Five times they've moved this game. Where was this concern of moving games out of primetime spots, nonetheless, when the San Francisco 49ers had a COVID outbreak? They still had to suit up with practice squad players and get blown out by Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers. Helping pad Green Bay's playoff chances. Look at just this, this last Sunday. COVID breaks out in the Denver Broncos locker room, specifically in the quarterback room. They have no quarterbacks available. Drew Locke, Done. The, uh, what's his name, the the Driscoll kid? Done. No quarterbacks available for the Denver Broncos. In a a, a pretty big game for the New Orleans Saints, playoff position-wise, the Broncos have to promote wide receiver Kendall Hinton, who hasn't thrown a pass, a touchdown pass, since his time in college at Wake Forest, when he was a quarterback. Poor kid goes one for nine, 13 yards, two interceptions against the Saints. Why didn't the NFL move that game? You could have bumped it back a little bit. There has to be some, some sort of flexibility. If, if the NFL needs to add week 18, week 19 before the playoffs starts... Why aren't we doing that? Is there is there no flexibility in those dates? Probably not. Your Super Bowl Sunday date is set in Tampa. You'd have to adjust the playoffs, which I don't think the NFL is willing to do. You can't move every single game that has to that that's being impacted by COVID nineteen. But to move the Baltimore and Pittsburgh game five times and not even give a second thought to the Denver Broncos, which there's a conspiracy out there that the NFL is trying to prove a point with the Denver Broncos. Because apparently Baltimore was doing everything right, and they still got COVID. Where the Denver Broncos, the quarterbacks were hanging out without masks on. And so this may be some kind of wear-your-mask-or-else penalty kind of under the radar given by the NFL, which the Saints are in that in that too. When they beat Tampa Bay two weeks ago, they were partying in the locker room with no masks on. NFL didn't like that. It's, it's, it's a double standard, in my opinion, when it comes to the NFL. Yes, there's a lot of sex appeal between Steelers and Ravens, division matchup. Your remaining undefeated team in the NFL in Pittsburgh at 10-0. and 0. But look at the domino effect at what this has done for the rest of the league. The Ravens and the Cowboys were supposed to play on Thursday night. Which, last I checked, is two days from now. So since you've got this other game, Ravens-Steelers, tomorrow, that has impacted... Thursday night football. So there will no longer be a Baltimore and Dallas game on Thursday night. That game has been moved to Monday and more and more pieces are going to more and more teams are going to be impacted by this. And at what point do you just say, all right, we've delayed it the best we can. The the reason that Pittsburgh and Baltimore are playing at 240 tomorrow night, tomorrow afternoon, rather, is because NBC, which has the legal rights to air the game, had a prior commitment to a Christmas tree lighting ceremony tomorrow night. They couldn't even bump the Christmas tree lighting ceremony because of an NFL game, a game that the NFL has deemed to be so important that they can't even convince NBC to preempt a Christmas tree lighting ceremony for Steelers-Ravens. It's a mess. On that note, we're going to... We'll not change gears too much. We're going to stay in the NFL, but we're going to break down the NFL Hall of Fame semifinalists. I'll give my picks on who I think is going to give to get in. We'll go through all 25 semifinalists. A lot of first-time guys. A lot of guys... This is fun for me because these are guys that I kind of grew up watching now, I mean, I not grew up watching, but when I really started to get into football, these are some of the guys that I watched. And now on the cusp of immortality, being enshrined in Canton, breaking down the Pro Football Hall of Fame ballot next on the KDLM Sports Wrap.
2: I'm Kyle Montgomery with NFL Network now on the Westwood One Radio Network. The NFL announced schedule changes that are now official. The Ravens and Steelers will play Wednesday at 3.40 p.m. Eastern on NBC – then a doubleheader in Week 13 next Monday with Washington and Pittsburgh at 5 p.m. Eastern, followed by Monday Night Football with the Bills and 49ers at 8.15 p.m. on ESPN. And next Tuesday, it's the Cowboys and Ravens at 8.05 Eastern on Fox NFL Network and Amazon. Meantime, Texans wide receiver Will Fuller and cornerback Bradley Robey have been suspended six games for violating the league's PED policy. Both will miss the rest of the season barring Baraga Texans' playoff appearance the first game of 2021. The 49ers will play their next two home games from the home of the Arizona Cardinals, this following COVID restrictions in Santa Clara County. And the Seahawks beat the Eagles 23-17 and now have a one-game lead on the Rams in the NFC West. This has been NFL Network Now on the Westwood One Radio Network.
1: This is the Golden Gopher Daily Update. I'm Mike Grimm. The University of Minnesota women's basketball team opens the season tomorrow afternoon at Williams Arena, hosting Eastern Illinois at 2 o'clock. Gopher head coach Lindsay Whalen says it's nice to finally be starting the schedule. Now that we have games going and to start to focus on some other teams and focus on what our team does well, how we can improve every day, just having that, I think, is such a boost to everybody's mental health and physical health and everything. It's um we all have been through so much that, you know, this was something that no one really knew if it was really possible to play this year. And it's just, it's great that it's here every day. Like I tell my team, don't look too far back or too far forward. All you can do is have to, you know, have today, prepare for your practices, prepare for your games, understanding that you can go into a day of a game day and it could be called off. That doesn't change your preparation because you are always prepared for every situation, but just to have that, um, have this back and to get ready for competition as I th- think something that, that everybody needs right now. And, and we're thankful that our athletics director, Mark Coyle, and um, Commissioner Warren have put us in a position where we're able to compete and play in a really safe way. That's Gopher head coach Lindsey Whalen. For more info on Gopher women's basketball, log on to gophersports.com. That's the Golden Gopher Daily Update. I'm Mike Graham.
0: 1340 KDLM, the station you can count on. Welcome back to the KDLM Sports Wrap on a Taco John's Taco Tuesday. Got 99 cent tacos at Taco John's all day long today. I love debating Hall of Fame ballots. If you look at the baseball ballot, a number of former twins on there, none of which are going to get into the Hall of Fame, but it's still fun to see guys like Michael Kadire and Latroy Hawkins, Tori Hunter on the Hall of Fame ballot. Kadiar and Hawkins not going to get to the the second round. I think think Torrey Hunter gets enough Baseball Hall of Fame votes to at least become a second, third, maybe even a fourth-year guy on the ballot. But in terms of of dominant outfielders of his era, don't get me wrong, Torrey Hunter was a very, very good player. 300-plus career home runs. Multiple all-stars, some of the most, some of the best catches that you'll ever see, and he's got the nine gold gloves to prove it. But if we've learned anything about professional baseball, is gold gloves don't get you into the Hall of Fame. Just ask Jim Cott in his 16 consecutive gold gloves. Torrey Hunter was a very good outfielder during his professional career. What was it, ninety? 96 through 20. I don't even remember when his last year with the Twins. What 2016, 2015? It's got to be around there in order for him to have to get time to get on the ballot. But there were also so many other good outfielders. Which, if you if you list outfielders from that era, Hunter would maybe be top ten from his era. And I don't think top ten gets you in the Hall of Fame. You need to be one of the best of the best of the best to get in, and the NFL a, a, a different animal than the Baseball Hall of Fame, where there's so many more players in the NFL than Major League Baseball. Some very very good players. Looking at this, uh, the Hall of Fame semifinalist ballot, there is a lot of of really good players. And then there's the next caliber of just unquestioned greatness. Bryant Young, defensive tackle from 94 to 2007. Amazing defensive tackle. The 1990s all-decade team. But you look at other defensive tackles from that era. Cortez Kennedy, John Randall, Warren Sapp. Is Bryant Young really on the same caliber as those three guys? No. You look at Heinz Ward. Again, a very good receiver. Is he a Hall of Famer? I don't think so. Tony Buscelli. Clay Matthews. Fred Taylor. Rondi Barber. Willie Anderson. As good as John Lynch was in the 90s for Tampa Bay, then went to Denver. One of the hardest-hitting safeties in the history of the league. Not named Harrison Smith. Thank you very much. Eric Allen, Rodney Harrison, Leroy Butler, Cornelius Bennett, Darren Woodson. Torrey Holt is a guy that I thought should have, who should have got in before Isaac Bruce did. And now Tory Holt may have to pull a Chris Carter or a Terrell Owens. And wait, because the upcoming group of wide receivers that are going to be on the ballots, not just this year, but in the upcoming years, is pretty pretty competitive. Richard Seymour? Reggie Wayne is on the ballot this year. I think Reggie Wayne gets in. Sam Mills, there's a name. The Dome Patrol in New Orleans. I hope Sam Mills gets in. Then you've got the the, the upper echelon guys. Linebacker Zach Thomas. Dominant player for the Miami Dolphins. I forgot he spent a year with the Dallas Cowboys. Also, but you look at those dominant linebackers from the late 90s to the 2000s. I think Zach Thomas is up there, but is he on the same level as a Derrick Brooks or a Ray Lewis or a Brian Urlacher? Thomas, very good. A five-time pro bowler. But again, the fourth, maybe best at his position during his era. I don't think fourth best should get you into the Hall of Fame. It gets you into the Hall of of Very Good. Alan Fanica, another one of those guys. Special teams extraordinaire Steve Tasker. And then you get to the last five guys on the list. And these are the five guys I think should be inducted into Canton. Linebacker Patrick Willis. Maybe a surprise name when it comes to a guy who should be a Hall of Famer. But this guy was one of the best players to do it, if not the best linebacker on the field at any given time. Shortened career, only played for, for seven seasons. But was a first-time All-Pro five times. Defensive Rookie of the Year. It's just... People look at that seven years and they don't think that it was long enough at a high enough level to be inducted in Canton. But Patrick Willis struck fear into the hearts of other people. Maybe even maybe even more so than Zach Thomas did. Charles Woodson, yes, put this guy in the Hall of Fame. Changed the game. Two time. Defensive player of the year. Defensive rookie of the year. Do it. (laughs) Charles Woodson, yes. Calvin Johnson. Maybe another instance of Patrick Willis where Calvin Johnson was the most feared receiver when he was on the field. And he did it in Detroit. That's not a knock on Detroit. Had a very good quarterback in Matt Stafford. But you may recall that he was putting up these numbers before the Lions drafted Stafford. Calvin Johnson was in Detroit two years before the Lions went 0-16 and took Stafford first overall. Led the NFL in receiving yards twice. Nearly had 2,000 receiving yards in 2012. Nobody has done that. He's been the closest. If he was still playing today... This guy could have 2,500 yards. He was that dominant when he was playing. Peyton Manning, I don't have to say anything about Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning should be unanimous choice to get in. And then the last one, and this one's got a lot of the same controversy as maybe a Zach Thomas or Patrick Willis will. And that would be Jared Allen. Defensive end. Is J- Jared Allen is a Hall of Famer. He will get in. It's really a question of when. And this is when the politics of Hall of Fame voting comes into play. Because there's something very, very special about having the the designation of being a first ballot Hall of Famer. Peyton, Balling, Peyton Manning, first ballot Hall of Famer. Brett Favre, first ballot Hall of Famer. Charles Woodson, I think, will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Does Jared Allen des- deserve the distinction of a first ballot Hall of Famer? Absolutely, I do. I, I think that Jared was not just a-, a top three guy. I think that Jared Allen was the best defensive end. Four team, four time first team All Pro. Led the NFL in sacks, not once, but twice. Tied for the NFL record with four safeties, including the most famous one, where he chased uh, Detroit Lions quarterback Dan Orlovsky out of the back of the end zone. That's one of my favorite all-time Vikings pictures of all time, is Orlowski out of bounds of the end zone, and Jared Allen just has his hands up. He was the closest guy to Orlowski, was credited with the safety. Allen, one of the best not just of his era, but one of the best to ever do it. Came up half a sack shy of setting the NFL single season record in 2009. The same year that, as a defensive end, won the NFL Defensive Player of the Year. And maybe I'm biased. or Undoubtedly, I'm biased that he should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But Jared Allen... Even as dominant as he was, does not get the respect from the NFL that I think he deserves. And maybe we were spoiled with Jared Allen here in Minnesota. Not the the largest of, of markets. But in my mind, Jared Allen, easily first ballot Hall of Famer when the list is announced Super Bowl week. Wait, It's Fader
1: looking good! So we dude!
0: Well, 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 looky there, we went long again. It can't wait a moment. We were supposed to have Tuesday night football tonight. That's been moved to tomorrow, Steelers versus Ravens. Tomorrow at two forty in the afternoon. We are planning on having that game on KDLM, some Wednesday afternoon football. So the only thing on the broadcast schedule tonight is the PJ Flex show at six o'clock. So we didn't even get to is the announcement yesterday that the Gophers did cancel the game against 16th ranked Northwestern. I was I was texting K Train yesterday who, who going to join us on Thursday, and we had that 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 side bet going Gophers versus his uh, his Northwestern Wildcats. And I texted him the news that the uh, the Gopher and Wildcat game was canceled. He said, "Good, we deserve to stew on that Michigan State loss a little bit longer." They lost twenty nine to twenty or something like that. Blew the game. Blew the chance at an undefeated season. Gophers have uh, at least one game left, Nebraska, in two weeks, and then the uh, the playoffs in the Big Ten. It's kind of a different format based on where they finish in the standings. They'll take on the same team opposite of the division, same number seed in the standings. So at least two games left for the Gophers, we hope. Tomorrow, though, busy afternoon-slash-evening in terms of, of, of sports. We've got NFL football tomorrow at 2.40, Ravens-Steelers. Tomorrow is the season debut of the Twins Hot Stove Show. <laughs> yeah, we're talking Twins baseball already. That's at 6 o'clock. 7 o'clock, we've got X's and O's with Mike Zimmer. Following that, a very special new show that we're going to debut with Joe Johnson from vikingsterritory.com. He really hasn't even told me much about it, other than he's got a very big co-host lined up to help him do the show. That's at 7.30 tomorrow. That's a wrap for the Sports Wrap. We're back tomorrow at 30 right here on the station. You can count on KDLM Detroit Lakes, Minnesota. It's way past 10 o'clock here at CBS News. Then we're getting the classic hits rolling.